John 20, we've been looking at uh, Jesus' encounters with different people after the resurrection. And so in John chapter 20, um, you know, we, uh, we've, we had Easter Sunday and then looked at the Great Commission. And then Chris last week uh, so eloquently walked us through Peter's restoration. We've talked in community groups about that. And Mary Magdalene, this week, we'll be talking about uh, this, this same passage, and then next week we'll do another one. And so what we wanted to do was not, not too quickly move on from Easter Sunday because uh, you, know, you spend all this time going through Lent, and you finally get there, and then you're like, okay, well, now what? Well, Jesus did a lot during that, that next little stretch. And so here in John 20, verse uh, 19 through 23, I'm just going to summarize that for us. Um, so here's, here's what's going on. It's uh, Sunday night of Easter Sunday. Um, the women went to the tomb in the morning, and he wasn't there. And the angel told them he's not here, he's risen, just like he said he would. Uh, during the day, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. And uh, there's a, just this beautiful encounter there. And he says, go tell them uh, that I'm alive. And so she goes and she tells them. But they don't, they don't really believe her. And... Um, so the, it's Sunday night. They're in the, the upper room. So they're in the same room where they were on Thursday night uh, for the last Passover meal, for the last supper. That, that's the setting. They're in the same room. They have locked themselves in. This is the disciples. They've locked themselves in because they are terrified that they're going to be arrested and killed as well because the persecution had, had broken out that everyone associated with this rabbi, you know, let's, let's get them all together and let's... Uh, Let's do the same thing to them. And so they're, they're in the upper room. They're locked in. They're scared to death. And Jesus shows up in the room. And uh, some, some would say he walked through the, through the wall. Like, like, you know, or some would say he magically opened the door. Not magic. That's right. Wrong word. Uh, that he uh, somehow opened the door. And uh, we don't really know. It's not really important. Jesus shows up in the, in the room. He says, peace be with you. And they freak out and rejoice and are so just jacked. And he says, uh, tells them again, peace be with you. As my father sent me, now I'm sending you. And so there's that, it's John's version of that, of the Great Commission. He, uh, there's a moment where he, it says he breathes the Holy Spirit into them. Uh, the same wording that's used in Genesis when God breathes the, breathes the breath of life into Adam. Um, it's foreshadowing what's going to happen at Pentecost. Uh, and so they're uh, filled with the Spirit, and he tells them, look, as, as you go, um, the message you bring has the power to forgive sin. Like, forgiveness will be available. If people don't want it, then they don't have to have it. But uh, this is now like, an, this is what's going to happen. This is a part of the commission. It's, it's this incredible moment. Um, and they're all there except for one guy. His name is Thomas. Thomas is not there. So let's pick up in verse 24. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, who was called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Okay, let's stop right there. So Mary Magdalene 
and all the other disciples are bringing this, like, we have seen him. And he's like, don't want to hear it. Don't believe it. That's why he's known as Doubting Thomas, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, his, his doubt is kind of understandable, right? Like, uh, and I don't want to, like, spoil it too much. In, in groups this week, one of the questions is, like, what are, what are all the reasons why his, his doubt is understandable uh, in in this moment, like why there's like several things as to why Thomas's doubt kind of makes sense, um, and so I don't want to give that away. But you can be thinking about that before groups this week if you want to. Um, one one of the reasons why that that may not make the list is that for the, in their current context, they they believed in resurrection from the dead. They just believed that it was like down the corridor of time, like way down in history on the last day there would be this resurrection and and so what they're describing like doesn't even make sense with with their construct of what resurrection was was about um it it wouldn't have been then it wouldn't have been in this way it just was very inconsistent with what they kind of had their had dug into um but you know thomas is not crazy for being skeptical about this it's it's hard it's a hard concept um and he probably had good reasons for looking at that group and being like, oh, I'm not too sure about you folks at this point. Um, but, you know, he's not the first person to doubt and to be skeptical and that struggle with, like, accepting and believing some of the things about our faith. And he's not the first one. He's definitely not the last one. Like, that's, it's, it's, it's a, part, a part of it. And I was, I was thinking this week about something that I've been obsessed with ever since I, not obsessed with, but ever since I first learned about it, I've been really into it. Um, if you ever took uh, like psychology classes at any point in any sort of situation, uh, one of the things that that they've done is try to study human development in different ways, uh, socially and relationally, like our, our morals and our ethics, like how they form over time. And a guy named James Fowler, he took some of those models and applied it to our faith because our our faith it morphs and it changes, and he. He, his, his breakdown of like the stages of faith development is kind of the most, the most widely used. Um, and so let me give, let me give you my, this is my summary. If James was here, he would probably say, and that's not what I meant, but uh, I'm pretty sure this, this is what he's getting at. So let, let, let's say that there is a baby born into a, into a faithful Christian community, faithful congregation of believers, church. Um, when that baby gets to like preschool age, that's roughly when they start to kind of be, kind of understand certain concepts. And so, and in terms of like the building blocks of our faith. So, so you're, you're just giving them like big foundational ideas that there's a God who made all of us and he loves you and he made you and he made everything and he's the best, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, when you get into school, like kindergarten through fifth grade, kind of in that stretch, um, that's when you're, you're kind of, um, you're accepting what your adults tell you about God. Um, and so as, as they're, as parents are discipling their kids, as the kids community group is doing its thing, as Camp Living Hope is doing its thing, um, as you're just interacting and as they're listening in church, all that, the adults are telling you, this is who God is, this is who you are, this is who we are, all that stuff. And you're just, you're drinking it in. You're like, cool, okay, I'm, I'm accepting it. You're adults. Um, you know more than I do most of the time, and so I'm, you're kind of accepting that. Um, you get into middle school and high school, 
it shifts a little bit more because it stops being, uh, it, it, well, it, you, you become a part of, of the group. You start to realize, like, this is my, this is my tribe, right? Like, these are, these are my people. Um, and so this is our, these are the songs that we sing. These are the scriptures that we study. This is, uh, these are the traditions that we have. This is our belief system, all that. So, so, you, so it's, it's, it, it goes from these basic building blocks to then in elementary school, I uh, just believe, I believe what the adults tell me because they're adults and they know. Um, in middle school and high school, it's like, yeah, this is our shared, our shared thing. It's a part of, of who we are. And then you, something happens that when you get out of, out of that high school age, you go into that, that next stretch. It could, you could, it could be college. It could be going into the workforce. It could be going to the military. It, there's a number of things that whatever happens in that like 18 to 25 kind of range. Everything that's happened up until that point is, is, it just starts to feel like it's not enough for you. Like you, you want to, you want to figure stuff out for yourself. And you're like, okay, this is, this is what my parents believe. This is what my church believes. This is what my tribe believes. But what, what do I believe for me? And so you go on this journey to kind of figure that out. And doubt is a, Passenger on the journey, skepticism, right? It's not a, it's not a, it's not a bad, it's not a bad passenger. It's just, it's a part of it. You're having to figure out some things, and you get into that age range, and and so if someone goes, let's say they go to the university setting of some sort, you start to meet people of other faiths and other um, other belief systems. You have professors presenting you with ideas. You're reading books. That maybe you weren't exposed to as much growing up, and uh, and and it seems like doubt and skepticism and like almost like confusion at times, where you're really you're trying to sort it out, and you're like, how does this fit with what I was taught growing up? And you know, you're just you're challenged on some things, um, especially with uh, nowadays with access to to media like we have, like podcasts. Man, there's so many. I watch people get so messed up. Just the, innocently listening to a podcast, the next thing you know, they're like furrowed all the time, you know, and just angsty. And um, there's just something about that stage where you're like, I got to figure this out for me. And some people never leave that stage. You you stay there, like you get stuck there. You just can't seem to move into what's next because you can't get past this thing you're trying to understand. I'll come back to that. Let's on the other side of that, which usually happens when you get into like your thirties. Uh, it's you, you kind of get to where you're like, you know, I'm I'm a part of something that's bigger than myself. Um, this is like this is what I believe. I just do. I've uh, I've kind of worked through some things, and I'm just trying to put it into practice now. And um, but yeah, like this is this really is my tribe. This really these really are my people. We really are a part of something bigger than ourselves. And then kind of the last stage is where you're like, you're like, ah, yeah, I got my I, I got my questions and stuff like that, but I'm okay with it. Like I've found peace in the gray. We have the black and white, you know, the things that are like concrete. And there's like this gray in the middle, you know. And you get to the point where you're like, you know, I I've, can find peace in the black and white, and there's enough in the black and white to help me find peace in the gray, and just the mystery, in the 
there are things that God has told us, and there's things that he's kept to himself. And, but what he has told us is enough. Deuteronomy 29, 29, that's the verse, right? That's, that's where you want to be. Like that's sort of the, that's the goal is to get there. And it kind of times out like in those stages pretty much until you get to that kind of college age one. And as I said, some people will stall out there. They, they just really struggle to get past, like past that. Um, and even for people who get past it, you know what never really ceases to be a part of the journey? Doubt, skepticism a little bit, you know? Even when you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I got peace in the gray. Got the black and white, got the gray. I'm, I've kind of worked my, my way through things. Sometimes life throws something at you and you're like, oh. You know? So doubt will be a passenger on the journey. It's going to happen. And so whether you are, whether you're in that state, that kind of stage where you're like trying to figure it out for yourself and you can't say that you crossed into the other side of it yet, but you're, you're there. Or maybe you have crossed on the other side of it and your experiences with doubt are more things like doubting, um, maybe doubting the goodness of God sometimes, maybe doubting the power of God sometimes, maybe Maybe doubting your own identity, sometimes your own forgiveness, you know, those, those kinds of things. Um, those things pop up here and there. The enemy knows how to, how to use normal life stuff to really mess with us. Um, and so those stages of faith development, you know, that's, that's how we've, we've approached structuring church life for a long time. That's part of why college ministry remains such an important, like, thing is that they're in the thick of it right there. Like we know statistically that that group is going, is wrestling through those things. And the worst thing that you can do when you're in that stage is do it by yourself. And so a part of it is, Hey, let's, let's just do this together and let's ask these questions together. Let's listen to one another. Let's, let's figure that stuff out. And so it doesn't really matter if your doubts are about, God's existence or the Bible or your own like sainthood as a son or as a daughter or whatever it might be. Doubt is something that you need to know what to do with it. And I was talking with Taylor in between the services and just about how doubt, we, we think that doubt is bad. It really isn't. It isn't bad. Now, it can, it can be hindering. Like it, you can feel very stuck with it. There are, are times when, we, when it can be unhealthy, but you look back over the course of your life, times of doubt and skepticism where you were wrestling through something, a lot of times that's when you're growing. Those are the times you look back on and you're like, man, that was tough, but I'm grateful for it. The most important thing is to remain connected. If you're in a season of doubt, if, you're, if there are things right now that you're going through, or if there's someone you know that's going through it and you're trying to figure out how to walk with them, Connection is what, uh, that's, that's essential. It's connection, it's vertical connection, it's connection to God, and it's connection to other people. But you can't go through it alone. And there are times when doubt is making it hard to connect with God, and so you kind of only have others. And so folks here are walking through that season of doubt to know on my right and on my left, there are believers who are not giving up on me. They're not afraid of my questions. They're not... They're not panicking because I'm not sure if God exists, you know. 
those kinds of things. And the reason I say that relationship is the key is not only does experience say that. I've been doing ministry long enough to say, like, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen it over and over and again. I've experienced it myself. Um, and that the research would show that, too. Uh, most importantly, we see it in the example of Jesus and how Jesus deals with Thomas. Um, so let's look at these couple of verses of what of Jesus' response to Thomas's demands, essentially. Verse 26. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. He said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. It's really, really quite beautiful. Here's a couple of thoughts as I bring this to a close. The first thing that I noticed when I was studying through it is like, man, Jesus' feelings are not hurt. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Thomas has made a pretty bold statement. Like, I don't believe any of you. And until I can, and these are my demands. I got to be able to do this and this and this. Until that happens, I'll never believe. I, I don't recommend that approach with the Lord. Jesus, his feelings are not hurt. It's almost, I almost wonder if Jesus is like, no, I get it. This is a hard one. It's a hard one. So um, my feelings aren't hurt. I'm not offended here. Uh, he actually goes to him and just meets him in his doubt. And to me, I find that just incredibly beautiful. Here's Thomas kind of crossing his arms. I'm not going to believe. And Jesus shows up in the room, in the same room. And he gives him the same blessing. Peace be with you. Jesus is, he's, it's relational for him. It's, I'm going to show up in person. I'm going to meet you where you are. With great, like, with, uh, what he says to him is exactly the demands that he, that he laid out, but Jesus wasn't there when he said that. He meets him with really specific Proof, like multi-sensory proof, like this this pattern that we've seen. Every time he shows up, it's multi-sensory, and it's exactly what they need in the moment. That is a pattern of ministry with the resurrected Jesus and with his sons and his daughters, is he knows exactly what you need, and he will show up and give you what you need. He may not show up on your timeline, you know. He may not show up in the way that you thought he would, but he will show up. When uh, you guys have heard me talk before about my niece Annie Kate, she lives in heaven, and uh, she had she had a rare genetic abnormality. I say had because she doesn't have it anymore. Praise God. And so um, she, but we knew we knew that that we wouldn't get to keep her very long, and that she might not survive her birth. 
And so the during the on her birthday, we're all packed in the waiting room, and uh, as many of you know what it's like to be in a waiting room, you're you're already nervous, even when you have no re- no like reason on the board to be nervous. But when you have a reason on the board to be nervous, you're extra nervous. And so we're all just kind of tense and it had been going on for a while and we just weren't sure what was happening. And I just, I just needed to get out of there for a minute. And so I go out into the hallway and kind of find a lonely hallway where just where there's not a lot of traffic and I'm just kind of there and I'm, I'm praying, I'm thinking, I'm really just like trying to like pull it together a little bit. And I was there for probably 10 minutes and uh, there's, there was something on the wall in front of me, like, but I hadn't really paid attention to it. And then I looked at it and I was like, oh, there's the verse that I preached on yesterday. And it, but, and it wasn't like, a, it wasn't John 3.16. It wasn't like a really common verse. And it, it wasn't about like healing or Jesus being the great physician. It wasn't anything that you would expect in a hospital it's not even in a, it's not at the lake. It's not in a Catholic hospital. It's in a secular hospital. This obscure verse out of Isaiah that was just there. And you ever, does God ever give you something that you, that you need, but you didn't even know that you needed it? You can just tell by the way you're, you're like drinking it in, like, oh, that's exactly what I need. He knew exactly what I needed in that moment. I can't say that I was doubting. I, it wasn't like this severe like crisis moment. I was just, I was just tore up, you know. He met me in it. He met Thomas in it. He met Peter. Met Mary Magdalene. He met all the disciples. Like every time he shows up, he's like, "I know what you need." It is a pattern with the sons and daughters of God that he shows up. He knows what we need. I'd been there for 10 minutes, you know. Just wasn't paying attention. Wasn't looking for him. Wasn't just. And so I think the encouragement there is to take him up on what he's been telling him. Like in Matthew six thirty three, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these things means all these things, all the things that we're talking about. He says in Matthew 7, Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. If you're seeking the truth of God, you're wrestling with doubt or skepticism, or you're walking with someone else through it, like we're, we're, we're seeking after the truth of God, he'll, he'll meet you. It may be later than you had hoped, maybe in a different way than you had hoped. Right after that, he says, which one of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You're going through doubt. Someone's going through doubt, skepticism, wrestling through it, and you're asking God, give me bread, give me a fish. He may not give you bread or a fish. He, he may not. But you know that he won't give you a, a stone or a serpent. That what he gives you will be good, and it will be at the right time in the right way. It'll be what you need. It's a pattern that we see with the resurrected Jesus. 
Luke 12, he says, Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's his desire. Jesus' feelings are not hurt by Thomas's doubt. His feelings are not hurt by our doubt. He understands doubt is, a, it, doubt is a passenger on the journey, and it's not necessarily a bad one. It can be a difficult one, but it's refining. But he's like, just, but you got to keep going. That's why he says, look, I'm not offended, but, uh, but here's, here's what I want. Like his, the ex- exact words at the end of verse 27. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Disbelieve is a weird word. Um. I don't know why the ESV put that word in there. A better word is, uh, in other translations, is faithless. Do not be faithless. Just believe. That, that, that is Jesus' desire for Thomas is that he would believe, that he would not stay in his doubt. He's like, let me, let me lead you out of your doubt in relationship with you. Let me meet you where you are and what you need, and let me show you. Let me walk you down the path of righteousness. It says in, in verse 28, and Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. It doesn't say that Thomas actually took him up on his offer to touch the scars. He may have. It just doesn't, it just doesn't say that. We see Thomas go from heels dug in, I'll never believe, from that kind of doubt into faith because he saw the resurrected Jesus for who he is. There's something about seeing God for who he is, who he really is, that pulls us out of that, out of that season, out of that, those moments of doubt, out of that confusion, out of whatever it might be. There, there's something about the purity of seeing he is my Lord and he is my God. That's why I said earlier that verse in Philippians is so meaningful because this prayer that their love would abound more and more. Everything else would fall into place. As we're walking through times of doubt, the focal point needs to be Jesus and not the doubt. Jesus wasn't like, well, let's get in there and let's dissect where your doubt's coming from and all that kind of stuff. There's probably there's room for those discussions, but it was really just like, hey, do you know who I am? And for Thomas, that was enough. Jesus closes by saying, by saying uh, this in verse twenty nine. Says, have have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Who's he talking about there? Talking about you, talking about me. He's like Thomas. It's great that you have seen me, and that's why you believe. This is a this is a great moment. But here's here's a beatitude for you. Blessed are those who believe and have never seen. Here's something. Here's something we have to grab onto. Is the last last thing. Doubt is a part of the faith. When I say doubt, I mean like the the mystery, like the gray. They're like it's hard for me to wrap my mind around this because it's not black and white. It's it requires me to trust. It requires faith. It would, that is a part of it. 
Jesus lays out right there part of the ethos of Christianity is that we live by faith and we don't live by sight. Blessed are those who will never see and yet they believe. That's the boat that we're in. We're, we're all here and we're like, we're going all in on the fact that this is real, that Jesus is alive and, and that the Bible is true. Like all these things are there. Like we've, we've given ourselves to this thing that is so gray at times. But the black and the white, like he's, we can tell enough from the black and the white to get through the gray. And if you're, if you're kind of stuck, if you're in that stage of faith development where you're, you're trying to figure out what you believe for you, then I told this at early service, I'll tell you this, live stream folks, everyone, you have a home here. Like, we want to do this together. You're not the first one to be in there. You're not the only one that is there. And if you have crossed through that kind of life stage thing and you're on the other side, but doubt and skepticism and difficulty is keeping you there, then you have a home here too. Like we're, that's why we do community groups the way we do. It's why we do spiritual mentoring the way that we do. It's why our, our kids, uh, as soon as they're old enough, they come into this room because we want them to be like a, a part of this. It's why we don't segment off in all these different ways uh, because like we, we need to do this together. You need to know I'm a part of a tribe that's not afraid of doubt. We're not afraid to let God walk us through it. We're a part of a tribe, and a part of the ethos is that we live by faith and not by sight, that we don't have to see the resurrected Jesus to, to believe it. We, we see the, the evidence of him all around us. We see it in creation. We see it in his word. We see it in the, the, the transformation of the lives within his church. We, we, we see it. We, we give ourselves to it. And for those who are struggling to do that, we just lock arms with them. We're like, cool, we'll, we'll walk together through this. We'll see what God wants to do here. The beauty of this story is, once again, Jesus himself, right? He's the hero of the story. He is the hero of all, of all the stories. It all, like, that's what you have to come away with. It's not like, well, that Thomas, he sure this or that and the other. It's like, no, Jesus is incredible. That's what we have to, have to walk away with. That's who we get to walk in a relationship with. That's why it's going to be okay. It's all going to be okay because of who he is. And so whether this meets you where you are, or maybe you're walking with someone else, maybe you're coming out of a season or headed into a season, I don't really know. That's for you to steward. Uh, but I hope it's been an encouragement to you uh, this morning. And we're going to spend some time, like we always do, just singing and kind of just letting this like do what it needs to do within us. And so I invite you to stand as our musicians come back up, and uh, we're just going to let the Lord continue to minister to us and to one another. God, thank you for um, thank you for the beauty of this story and the relatability of Thomas. I know he gets a bad rap. But the way that you respond to him and care for him and just that specific love that you have for him, 
I pray that we would all be able to put ourselves in the story and realize that that he is no different from us. We are no different from him. Would you help us to embrace the fact that mystery is a part of what it means to follow you? And for those who are struggling to get through it, God, would you would you meet them where they are in really specific ways, in really beautiful ways that that can only result in you getting the credit for it? We don't want to be demanding, you know, we don't want to follow his example in that way. We don't want to test you in that way. We want to but we do want to seek you. We don't want to be slow to realize that you're at work among us. And so Jesus, thank you for your beautiful response to Thomas and for the way that you respond to us as well. As we sing, I just pray, God, that whatever it is, whatever it is you have for us this morning as individuals and as a group, that we grab onto it.